Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, welcome to Rugby Jubbly episode 16 with me, Dan, the man Skinner, and how angry Faf Cruttenden. Angry yeah. Faf Cruttenden. <laughs> oh. oh, this is going to be a great podcast this week because Saracen's lost to the Cornish Pirates, and we're going to hear all about it for about an hour and a half from Hal Cruttenden, who's going to talk us through it. I'm really emotionally spent because of this. I did warn oh, you, we were right. worried. Bet you are. There's people online going, Sarries were arrogant. We were terrified. Well, I was terrified. Other people were nervous. Unlike you. Going away to Cornwall, you know, we knew it was going to be a really tough game. I must admit, I was, I mean, it was, it was 20, it was 18, 17 to the last minute and there was a kick, which for some reason no one caught. It bounced funny and Pirates scored, so it's 25, 17. It was always close. Oh, so it was a bit of luck then. Well, also, it, it wasn't luck. It wasn't luck. Well, you know what it is, How. You know what it in is? In the last 10 to 20 minutes, they marmalised no, us in a set piece. No, no. It's the haunted curse <gasps> yes. of the Cornish Pirates, as we discussed last of week. Of course it was. It was I forgot hex. to say that. They put a hex on the team. So this is a one-off. They went and probably did some chanting around a witch's circle or yeah, something beforehand. druids and all that. Yeah, they're weird people. I don't think it should remain part of the UK. I, I don't want to be controversial. They should be cut off and drifted into the Atlantic. <laughs> to be controversial, yeah. get rid of Cornwall. Uh, we're playing Jersey Reds next week. If they get a result, we give up Jersey. Generally, anywhere that's offensive and keeps Saracens out of getting back to the Premiership Beat Saracens. is in trouble. Yeah, It's going to be tricky, though, when you're playing in places like, you know, Derby or something like that. You, it's landlocked, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You can't just slice that out of the middle <laughs> of the country <laughs> and chuck it in the sea. We're kicking Richmond out of the UK. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult, very difficult to ostracise them. To be honest with you, Richmond would do very well as a small, very rich country. It'd be a little Monaco Richmond, I think. I understand how the Cornish Pirates actually played very well and they had you on toast in the scrum. Yeah. To What's going the truth, on there? They did play amazingly well. How can well. that happen? There was a time when I was writing things like going, they are so dumb, they, we couldn't get a line out working. Then by the end, we were being pushed back in the scrum. We basically lack depth in our pack at the moment. I think our backs were better than theirs, I would say. There was a couple of lovely tries. We scored first. Sean Maitland played well. Sean a few internationals Maitland. on the field. You had an international rugby player. We had Duncan Taylor. We had Vincent <laughs> Cock, who's in the front row, has been a World Cup final. I don't know. Oh, I don't know what the problem is with the scrum, but I think it's also the lack of depth because I think the players coming on maybe aren't aren't adding enough. Do you think there was an attitude problem though, like either overconfidence or or pure terror? 
of like, oh my God, what if we lose <laughs> this of game? The ghoulies and ghosties. No, but, but you, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the pressure on Saracens to win every game must be immense. It is awful because everybody wants to beat them. The whole rugby world wants them beaten and humiliated, even though they've been humiliated already, as far as I'm concerned. We're being put through the mill and people are still piling it on top of us. Mm. And I'm doing a lot of moaning. Just from a sort of psychological point of view, like being in the changing room going, right, we train every day, we pay, we're professionals, and we're going up against some news agents and butchers. Mm. And we have to win these games because otherwise we'll just, you know, what, what are we? How, how can this be? And that can put an awful lot of pressure on you. That's true, but I don't, that wasn't the way they were beaten. It wasn't just, oh, they're so much better, but they're making lots of mistakes. We probably had better backs, but we were beaten up front and mm. they disrupted the line out in a way we'd never seem to be able to disrupt theirs. I think there's a structural massive problem in the Saracens pack at the moment and without our England players we're in danger I don't know I I mean maybe I'm dramatising it because there were times we were ahead at half time we were doing okay it was just that last 20 minutes when other players came in that's not like you to do that but it will be interesting if Saracens I mean what will happen is because other clubs don't have the facilities to go into the Premiership there would be the horrific situation possibly of Saracens failing to get promoted and being put back in anyway, mm. which just means we'll just be humiliated, you know, just abused as even more in every yeah, away game. It's so unfair. But the thing is, they sort of can't now afford to lose any. Yeah. But having said that, they should get their England players back. This is why, and I say this directly to Eddie Jones, <laughs> dump all the Saris players. We want them all back now. I want all of them sent home. Mm. I want all of them back in the team because we need to survive. Because it, it is, I mean, it would be a situation where historically a team would be kept down in the lower tier, you know, in, in the lower uh, league because they've got lots of England players out. We would have players who would be available. We had maybe five or six players who would strengthen that team and make them still a weaker team that could be beaten by a lower level premiership side or could even be beaten by Cornish Pirates. It would still, I think with the full England side, Cornish Pirates, everybody's going to play massively at home when they've got Saris at home. World Cup finals, aren't they, against Saracens? Yeah, Yeah. but it is that difference. Oh, mate, I felt sorry for you. I felt sorry for you, I'll be honest with you. I did. And also, (laughs) there was a quite clear red card sending off about 25 minutes in. There's no TMO in the championship. And I can't believe more wasn't said online because at the time the commentators went, I think he's quite lucky there's no TMO. <laughs> Basically, a Cornish Pirates player, shoulder to the head, hard, knocked uh, Richard Baz Barrington, our, our prop, uh, you know, knocked him flying. Yeah. It was a red mm. card offence. They could have been down. But it still would have been wrong. I don't like people games being won by red cards. So I'm not saying I want that to happen. I know. But if you play in the championship, you play by the championship Can rules. I show you my exchange? Yeah. This is the exchange I had with Cornish Pirates team. online. The, the Saracens had written something about the game. And I went, you know, I don't usually do this. I was more moaning that there was no TMO because I actually, and that's why I wouldn't want something sending off. But I went, don't like to moan, but that Pirates tackle on Baz Barrington was a red. No TMO is sometimes very annoying. <laughs> Cornish Pirates, the official Twitter account of Cornish Pirates. This is how responsible they are about head injuries. Don't like to moan, but I would like to moan. Some of the delights to look forward to in the champ. TM who? That's the official Cornish Pirates Twitter thing is having a laugh about the fact they got away with a high shot. They didn't say, no, that wasn't a red. They went, ha ha, isn't it funny in the championship? Mm. But apart from that, it was actually very well refed. And that's nothing I noticed. It was a, a, I can't remember her name. It was a female referee for this game. Oh. Yeah, but exactly. I realise what an old stick in the mud I am. No, cool. I, I, but I hadn't, I've never seen a female referee, yeah. referee a rugby match. She was, you know, excellent. And, uh, but I made, it made me go, that's very tough being a female referee because I've noticed it and I've gone, 
she was a very good referee. It doesn't mean you just, you think that is the tough thing of breaking through a glass ceiling and changing things. Yeah. I would hate to be a female referee because you're being... Just the attend, just the very fact that you know me, lovely liberal Hal went. Oh, female referee for a game. Wonder what she's like. Yeah. Oh, she's actually very good. But do you know what I mean? It's that extra pressure. Yeah. So huge yeah. congrats to her. I've forgotten her name. Let's go to the review of last weekend's results now. The biggest result of last weekend oh, yes. on Sunday when our co-producer's wife produced their lovely daughter, Orla. Yes. So uh, Fred, who edits the podcast and works very hard, and Becky, congratulations to the pair of you on the birth of your lovely daughter, Orla. Huge congratulations. Back to the field of play. Which games did you see? The one I saw... The most of was Harlequins Northampton. Yes, I saw a little bit of everything. I saw a bit of Bath Exeter. Um, I saw a little bit of Leicester London Irish. And I saw a bit of Worcester Bristol. But I saw mostly Harlequins Northampton. Can I say, that was the game to see at the weekend. And these are two teams I don't like personally because of just grudges and being horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was fantastic. That first half, I promise you, this is. I don't want to be too emotional about it. Of Quinns Northampton, the first half of Quinns Northampton. I was that was Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, last game from the end of the Saris game. I was really quite depressed, and Sunday morning I felt really down. And I do tend to swing around psychologically quite a lot. <laughs> I was feeling really down. The first half of this game, I really hated rugby and I hated the Premiership for about twenty four hours oh. and just hated everybody about it. Harlequins Northampton, that first half, reminded me why I love rugby. Little palate cleanser. It was fantastic. Yeah. The game was kind of won by the end of the first half, no? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's amazing what's happened to Harlequins. I mean, like, you know, since Paul Gustard left, they've just gone mad. They, they, you know, they're playing out of their skin, playing for each other, real inventive creativity. It might be the international window. It might be that there's other players away and they hold on to lots. Of their, they haven't really lost anybody. But maybe, their offloads maybe. are amazing. And Marcus Smith, he is the best 10 at the moment probably in the UK. He probably is the best fly-off. He probably should be playing for England. Why do you think he's so good? He's only 21, isn't he? 21, 22? Yeah, he's really young. I think he's just playing out of his skin. He's so creative. He always does something with the ball. He always makes things happen. He's fast. He's got a... I just think he's really skillful. I think he's just playing really, really well. But he's getting good, clean ball. He's getting good, clean ball. The forwards are doing their job. Yeah. Because if he didn't have the space and time that they were giving him, he wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, so, it's you know, it's a team effort. Oh, it is a team effort, but there's no there's no fly half. No fly half looks good without being one But he's doing ball, no, they? I agree. Nobody can actually look Well, some play well on the back foot and some play well on the front foot. Like Cipriani was never terribly good when they were getting beaten, mm. but could open up defences if they were going forward. Uh, George Ford, uh, he's like on the back foot. He, you know, well, you're right. No, none of them are great. Uh, I think Marcus Smith is better than George Ford and he could play George Ford's role for England. The point I'm trying to make is hmm. he will probably get 10, 20 caps for England. He should make a decision as a guy whose dad is Filipino. He was born in the Philippines. If he plays for the Philippines, I've looked it up. I think they're 41st in the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. They'll yeah. play him till he's 45 or something. Yeah. They'll build statues to him. What an opportunity. He'll have stadiums named after him. 
He will be a Filipino rugby legend. Yeah. I say he'll probably get over 200 caps. Along with those other Filipino rugby legends. Well, exactly. There aren't uh, any others. That's what no, I... If I was no. him, I'd be very tempted to go and play for the Philippines. Yes, you'll make no money and you won't go to World Cups, but you'll be more individually remembered. Yes, you won't play against anybody. N- no, but you'll be more individually remembered. Yes, the standard you play in the Premiership every week will be better than the international standard that you will be playing for the Philippines. No, but, no, but it's no, exactly, exactly. But you won't receive he, any ball when you play for the Philippines either. He, he, you'll might, be on the back foot all the time. No. <laughs> He's twenty-one. He's twenty-one years old. Yeah. Eddie Jones will be in charge of England for maybe another two or three years because I can't see him hanging on after the next World Cup cycle. So after that, everything's going to probably change. Um, and then who knows? Who knows what will open yeah. up? Who knows? See, maybe I do tend to always be pushing a viewpoint of take the easy life and have a nice... Because I'd love to be yeah, playing... Yeah, exactly. Have statues go, named after you and stadiums yeah. named after you and, you know, earn 40 quid a game. And you know you're going to be fitter than a lot of other Filipino players if just by play, So you can probably take it easier. International weeks is no real pressure. Yeah. Did you ever play club games? Did you ever play club games at school? Where or club or house games, but we call them clubs or school, where you'd have people of different, you know, 16-year-olds playing against 13, 14-year-olds and things. You'd have a big mix. And I remember that that's what it would be like for Marcus Smith playing for the Philippines, even though he's not big. But it would be that thing of being so much more skillful than the, than the other guys. Yeah. What else did you see? I also saw, oh, Sale Newcastle. I don't want to talk about Faf de Klerk again because I just want to have his name, but he's so good. Faf Howe. Yeah, he's brilliant. Did you watch Sale Newcastle? No, I didn't, but I know how good Faf de Klerk is. He's got that quality of, if you're non-aligned um, watching the game, you can just enjoy him. If he's on your team, you'd love him. And if you play, I hate him to be playing against. When I he was guess. playing against England, Yeah, I hate him. He was a handful, isn't he? This is what I remembered when I was... Uh, I, I watched a little bit of Sale. Mm. You know, they're doing well. They're playing very well. They're in winning ways. Where are they now in the table, Sale? They're fourth. Yeah. And let's not forget that... Which I did forget that Manu Tuolangi is signed for Sale. He will be going back there. Of course he is. Yeah. 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 I know. My God, they've still got him so to when come he's back, back, haven't they? I know. Exactly. That's a very good point. That's going to help things. That's going to help things out for them. To be honest, I want to slag off the Premiership because I'm angry Saris aren't there, but actually it is more interesting than it's been for a while because there are lots of teams could win this. I said this last week. I love it that it's open. I really like it that it's open, but you like it when one side dominates. No, if it's Saracens. Did, well, I can't remember what I say from week no, to week. No, you, you said, I like it when one side dominates. It's because you're a Saracens fan. <laughs> no, and I like it when it's no, open. I would, I'd probably be happy if Bristol were running away with it, mm. playing the sort of rugby that they play. I'd quite like them to be dominating it. You'd be happy with that. I'd like Exeter to not win. But I do think it's interesting. Well, I was, I was delighted. I was delighted to see. I was delighted to see that London Irish are up to sixth in the table. I mean, it, it, it seemed like only two weeks ago or three weeks ago they were like rooted to the bottom of the table. Yeah, and now they're up to six. That's amazing. But having said that, they lost, but they got two bonus points because they got a man sent off. They lost, but they lost by one point, yeah. and they're playing very well. Exactly. Away to Leicester. Both those teams are on the up because Leicester, I think, are playing much better than they were. Yeah. Wasps, meanwhile, falling apart. Mm. Uh, Wasps lost to Gloucester. Gloucester got a man sent off. Ollie Thorley set off after 27 minutes. Did you watch the whole game? No, I didn't. Oh. But Gloucester, are, are, Gloucester have been threatening for you know, a few weeks, and they have been improving and improving and improving, and yeah. they've just scraped a win. This this could be, this could be, because they're like, 
I think they're second from bottom, Gloucester. So they needed they need a few wins. Yeah. Worcester Bristol seemed pretty good. What was the score of that game? I forgot to write it down. 23-24. 23-24. Yeah, but they But Worcester were winning that game for a long period of time. Yes. Callum Sheedy, I think, kicked them to victory, didn't he? Mm. Oh no, no, they scored and he had to convert. So Sheedy again is saving a team, you know, and, and helping them win games. He missed so a couple bring, of those I broke well. the Wales England game. Yeah, but he did uh, well, didn't he do something great for the... Oh, God, I don't know. It was a kick to the corner or something. <laughs> it was a kick to the corner. I, look, I only saw the highlights. I can't watch that much rugby when I'm depressed, OK? So I've, I've watched know. three premiership games fully and just seen the highlights of this. So I did miss this Bristol one. The best kick to the corner of the week, the best kick to the corner of the week was Bath. Dan Bigger to Rory. Yes. Not Dan Bigger, uh, Rhys Priestland. Oh, Rhys Priestland, the other one, yeah. But, that, but getting to that Bath-Exeter game... 38-16, Bath were 13-0 up and Exeter just reeled them in. Exeter are meant to be in crisis. And Sam Underhill was back. Yeah, Exeter Sam are meant to be in crisis. Underhill. They are fully back as a team. They are They are really... Who people, says they're in crisis? They lost a couple of games, so yeah. people are all going, Exeter's going downhill. That's they're not, not at all. They were fantastic. Sam Simmons, brilliant. Sam Skinner. They're second from top. I mean, Exeter are back to being proper... You know, yeah. a proper they, they can beat everybody. But Reese Priestland is still going with his record, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, with his kicks. Yeah, of not having missed a kick. Thirty-three or thirty-four, something like that. Don't you think that's a mate? The psychology of yeah, that, though, because yeah, I would I do, want to I avoid do. taking place kicks. I know. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? You sort of get get the ball and go. Oh no, this is the one. This is the one. But that's why we're not international rugby is players, that, presumably. Well, the longer I do this pod, the longer I realise that. It's not just my knees that would have stopped me being a top player. I, <laughs> yeah, I lack the attitude. Psychological makeup. Because yeah. every time he takes a kick, I'm going, oh, God, Reese, you must be terrified. And he's just going, no, I'm just going to no, kick this one. I'll go through, go through my process. I go through my process, innit? Reese Priestland is a brilliant player, I think. Mm. But he's going to go back to Wales. He might go back in the squad at 35, 34, 35, if he, when he goes back and plays in Wales. That's interesting, isn't it? We've sort of got all over the place. but um, Yeah, we have a bit. Yeah, Exeter's back. Quinn's a brilliant. Bristol. Still probably get better again when England players come back. And Wasps, there's something wrong at Wasps, isn't it? Wasps were brilliant and they've kind of fallen apart. Aren't they down to about eighth or something? Yeah, yeah, mid-table now. Um, I don't know why. They haven't got any England players. Well, they, they're missing Paolo Adogwu. Which is, I think, that's another sort of... It's a bit scandalous, isn't it, that he takes them away from the club for that long and then doesn't even... They don't even get anywhere near the team. Exactly. Or they get 10 minutes. I mean, that's another thing, isn't it, about Marcus Smith? It's like, how can anybody that isn't in in break into that team? There's so many players that have been capped once or twice and then just binned. But also in the Premiership, Scottish players, Welsh players are being allowed to play on the off weeks and they're doing well. Their national team's playing well. England need to play and yet the England team still Mm. keep the players. It makes no sense to me at all. Paolo Adogwu is like, you know, he gets taken away from Wasps so none of the Wasps fans can watch him play and he can't light up the Premiership and he's not playing anywhere near. He doesn't seem to be getting in the squad for England. He just... Why is he there? Was he just carrying tackle bags? What's he doing? Yeah, you know. And what what happens if he comes back and he's lost form? Well, yeah. And do you know what I mean? He's he, he was in a real vein of form, and then he doesn't play for. It's just none of it mm. makes any sense. All of rugby's gone mad. But if you feel bad, watch the first half of Quinns against Saints again. Yeah. Because it will cheer you up about this sport. Anyway, the top of the table looks like this. Bristol 1, Exeter 2, Quinns 3. Quinns up to third. That's cool, man. Yes. And uh, Sale 4th. That's it. That's a really good top four. 
I think that's a really good top four. What's exciting is you genuinely think, because of the way this season's going, any, any of them could win it. Any mm. of them could mm. go on and win it on their day, couldn't they? I think so. I, I think when it comes down to those like semi-final final games, it usually comes down to those that have won it before or those that have been in finals and have failed to win it. So I think I think Quinns and Sale are probably less likely to win it mm. because you need to have been through... Everyone that's won it seems to have been through a final and lost mm. to know how to deal with those moments. You've got to go there and fail before you can go there and win. So I would say it's going to be either Bristol or Exeter. I hope it's Bristol. I do. I have nothing against Exeter because they are. I hope actually, it's Bristol. They were very, very good. I hope this it's week. Bristol as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So our guest this week comes all the way from the Gold Coast in Australia. We've got to say a big thank you to Dan Sharp, who's a Bristol Bears fan, for emailing us to suggest this week's guest. Now, this is a man who has played over here for Wasps, London Irish and London Welsh. He was capped for Samoa 39 times and the Pacific Islanders three times. He is the man behind the classic movie. If you've seen it, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called Oceans Apart, Greed, Betrayal and Pacific Rugby. And he's currently CEO of the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare. A huge welcome to Rugby Jubbly Podcast to Dan Leo. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, brilliant to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I hope the lockdown's treating you all well. Oh. Not as well as it's treating you on the Gold Coast yeah. in Australia <laughs> with no not. masks and jumping in the sea. We're just grinding through, Dan, and you're living the life of Riley down there. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Now, Dan, I suppose we start, I mean, I've seen this film twice now and it has, it, it really is an issue that's just really opened my eyes. Do you want to explain briefly what the film Oceans Apart is about? Yeah, firstly, um, you know, thanks also to Dan for suggesting that I come on here. It's great to have this platform and, you know, to be on a new pod and an exciting one and that, you know, you guys are doing some great stuff. And to be able to speak about some of the bigger issues in the game as well, uh, it's a responsibility that we've all got, not to just enjoy the game, but to take some responsibility in the direction that it's taking as well. And that's how I felt both as a player and now coming out on the other end. 
And basically, you know, the rugby community is well known for it as, you know, we're one of action and of morals. I think that's really important. You know, it's the values that are behind rugby that are really what make this game special. So I guess that was in line with why I set out to make the film uh, Oceans Apart was really to um, make sure that rugby was championing those values and continue to develop in line with those values and, and morals, you know, and sometimes we need a reality check. That's what Oceans Apart was, I guess, was um, really aimed at uh, raising awareness amongst the rugby publics to some of the challenges that maybe not everyone might be aware of, particularly for us, uh, the Pacific Islands, who love the game. But, you know, since the game went professional, we've really struggled to come to grips with not just, you know, performances, but also the array of challenges that diaspora around the world, um, you know, find themselves with the the cultural challenges, the, the financial difficulties. Uh, and all of those. So we wanted to bring it all together. It was quite difficult. We had an hour to do to do so. Um, so yeah, um, you know, that's that sort of it was a teaser really to these kind of conversations, I guess, guys. And it's really important that we do have these to dig a little bit deeper, you know, and get past what we could only mm. really cover in an hour. So Dan, the film is, I mean, it's pretty scandalous, <laughs> you know, for just from a sort of an armchair rugby fan. It's also quite scandalous how unaware we were of it, don't you think, Dan? I think. Yeah. The general, an English rugby fan. Absolutely. But that's the thing, isn't it? You're right, Dan. I mean, we all have a responsibility to the game. And it just feels like that um, the Pacific Island players, who Eddie Jones, for example, described as, you know, the best rugby players in the world, are just being plucked from their home nations and put into other international teams. Maybe you could explain how that's actually happening. How come New Zealand can take a player from, say, Tonga or Fiji or Samoa and just fast-track them into the New Zealand side? Yeah, there's so many intertwined stories in the situation that we find ourselves in. You know, one of those is just the story of natural migration, economic migration. You know, it's not necessarily just tied up with rugby, but, um, you know, my father was one of uh, thousands of Samoans that came over to New Zealand for work opportunities um, in the absence of really many outside of the copper industry selling coconuts in, in Samoa and, and fisheries. Uh, there's not much else you can do. So, you know, New Zealand was industrializing through the 60s, 70s and, and 80s, uh, early 80s, and relied a lot on Pacific Island labor. And, you know, the benefits of those people having kids and having them raised in New Zealand are what we see now. And I think it was in 2000 and. 13, I counted 16 All Blacks of Samoan uh, ancestry playing that, you know, almost half of the squad. And we see that, you know, even higher numbers, you know, or just as high through all of the Super Rugby teams um, now over here in Australia and the Super Rugby teams as well, you know, that high percentage, you know, up towards, you know, 50 to 60% of not just rugby union players, but rugby league players as well. Mm. Um, really propping up the professional rugby landscape, yes, but also the domestic landscape and the, and the amateur rugby in a place like here in Australia. So, you know, the film's got so many twists in it. You know, we've got politics involved. Yeah. We've got this big question of, you know, um, not being able to return and, and play for our island nations once you've been capped by a country like New Zealand, mm. even on the sevens level, you know, um, which for me is, is, is absolutely crazy. So the fact that you can get captured by, you know, by the New Zealand sevens team or the Australian sevens team and never be able to play 15-a-side rugby for Tonga, Samoa or Fiji, you know, is maybe a logical place to start in terms of just bringing some of those players back. Well, that, and that's what's interesting in the film is when they do it in rugby league, you say, yeah, they did allow people to be eligible for both. Tonga. Tonga suddenly beat three of the best teams in the world. I mean, that's, that's what I think's amazing is how good rugby players are coming out of one tiny part of the world. I think the film says it's over a quarter of professional rugby players are coming from 1.5 million people in the Pacific <laughs> Islands. I think that was what got me about the film was you compared it to colonialism and I think it's absolutely right. It's exploiting a raw material 
and not repaying properly back to those places where these people have come from. I think that's really the shocking part of it. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and I think on that point is, you know, contrary to what a lot of people believe, mm. um, it's not an endless conveyor belt of talent, the Pacific, you know, it will dry up unless proper investment goes back into it. You know, we're seeing some glory years over the, you know, the last 10 or 15, but that will end, you know, the, the sharks are circling in terms of other sports. As I, I mentioned, uh, you know, and we, you have mentioned the rugby league, but also in other contact sports, um, the NFL ran their first trial camp sort of Pacific Island combine in Apia, Samoa uh, last year. You know, that's the first time they've really ventured outside of American Samoa. So, you know, yeah. we can imagine that, you know, with their pathways that are in place, if, if they start adding to that drain of players, it's going to even weaken the player pool that's available in the islands. You had the interview with the guy from World Rugby at the end. And just from an outsider's point of view, he looked incredibly cagey. You know, he was just deflecting questions. And you said yourself that he didn't really identify what a tier two side was. And, you know, he said, well, World Rugby could have done a bit more here and could have done a bit more there. I mean, how will it change unless World Rugby completely get on board with this and say, this is... This can't this can't happen anymore. How do you, what solutions are there? That's a really tough one. I think it begs a bigger question. You know, um, how much power do our, our governing body actually have over the sport? Hmm. Um, I think we're a little bit different in terms of other sports where actually we all like to think world rugby sit above the tier one nations and everyone comes below that. Um, when actually it's the reverse, the tier one nations, particularly the um, you know the six nations. The, the founding nations of the game are, are the ones up the top pulling all the strings. And World Rugby, in, in my opinion, are just, you know, puppets to the will of those six nations. So, you know, which again was one of the points of making the film because the only way that I see we can make a difference is appealing to those home nations. And those unions have to be reflective of the members that they represent, which is, you know, your listeners mm. and, and yourselves, you know, the yeah. people, the, the, our rugby playing communities, the small grassroots clubs who vote these people in the unions are accountable to them. So if we could reach out to, you know, the, the rugby playing public and, yeah. and raise their awareness to these issues, um, and we've already seen it, you know, people are jumping on board and wanting to support us, and hopefully it's only a matter of time till that filters up the uh, the pyramid, so to speak, and we, we can see some, some positive change. Well, I think that that's, that's what's so on your side, isn't it, that I was thinking how the sort of goodwill that goes towards those nations, when people think, people almost smile when they think of Tonga, Samoa, Fiji. We, we had this Autumn Nations Cup at the end of last year, and Fiji, because of COVID, only played one game, but they were just so, they brought, mm. so it was a very, very bad tournament in terms of everybody was playing very boring rugby, and, and Fiji did put this smile on people's faces. I think something that just needs to get the message out there, because people always have goodwill towards those nations anyway because there are so many exciting players here from those backgrounds there's so many players you go oh I think it's no I think it's amazing I I mean the thing that gets me about the tier nations Italy is a tier one nation yet I, I looked this up last night that Tonga Fiji and Samoa are all above Italy in the world rankings even with all their problems of resources and they're well tier well they tier two they're tier two nations yeah so um it's just how they make that decision of, of Sounds who financial. goes where. I think it's, it's it must be financial. Well, that's what's so depressing. We we tend to think of sport as all big. Oh, it's jolly and it's all fair. And actually, so much is just about money. Yeah. And it's so depressing thinking about money as an England rugby fan because we've got the richest union in the world, and we've won the World Cup once. It's just crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but has there been problems with your with people you know within the game because of this film? Are there people that are angry, very angry with you about it? Have you found that anybody shunned? Uh, geez, you know, everyone that featured in the film really went out on a limb, I guess, you mm. know, because you do, um, you know, it was a tough conversation to say, especially 
um, you know, for, the, for current players uh, and coaches that are still in the game. Um, a lot easier for myself, who's who's removed from, from the game now. And as I said off air to you guys, you know, I'm just here in Australia working a uh, working in a totally different sector outside of rugby now, so I can say what I like. But for a lot of those guys, you know, guys like Charles Piatel, uh, mm. Pat Lamb, you know, they're still right in in, in the throng of the game. And um, you know, for those guys to come out and say some of the stuff that they did was very powerful and made the film what it is. For me personally, you say some of these sorts of things and you show some of the things, and you know. It's going to be pretty difficult for me to go back to the uh, Pacific Islands uh, anytime soon, but COVID's come along and I've got a good excuse because <laughs> yeah. they're not letting anyone in anyway at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, particularly with, with the politicians and, you know, we've got some uh, people who have seen the film would have seen, you know, some nasty characters involved in uh, mm. Pacific Island rugby and some pretty powerful people as well. So hopefully, you know, um, as I said earlier, with the positive change that can come for Pacific Island rugby, hopefully on the back of this, um, they will see the need for us, you know, while we had to say what we did and hopefully they'll see the benefits, which, you know, and the people, again, for the people, I don't care what the politicians or the or world rugby think about me. What I care about is the, you know, the average Joe Blow down in the, uh, in the rugby club that I have a beer with. Like if I can look him in the, in the eyes and know that I've done my best um, for Pacific Island rugby and for my mates, then that's all that matters to me. I don't really care about the other guys. It may seem like a really obvious question, but what would positive change in the Pacific Islands look like? How would you like to see it change? What would you like to that's see? A, that's, a good, that's a good question. Well, I, I think, and I might be massively off the mark here, but our countries, particularly Samoa and Tonga, are really small countries. You know, Tonga's 100,000 people. Samoa's just over 200,000. Uh, Fiji are about a million. I like to think that the money that is being generated through rugby, if that was actually being redistributed to uh, fairly and we were getting what we were worth, that could actually transform not just the rugby in our countries, but the whole the entire nation, you know, country like Tonga, you know, rugby should be a, a source of them building new schools, you know, mm. universities, um, facilities that they don't already have. So that's what I'd love to see. That's for me. And maybe on a personal note, you know, um, I'd love to see one of the Pacific Islands make the final of a Rugby World Cup. Yeah. That's sort of just a little personal target that I've set myself. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to happen unless we get some of those changes around uh, eligibility that we need. Um, we need some of these players who've been lost to, um, you know, just about every other uh, rugby playing nation to be able to come back, you know, if there's a, a sensible stand down period. Great example of that is someone like Nathan Hughes, who plays for Bristol. He's played well for England. And I mean, his heritage is, uh, is he Tongan or Samoan? Uh, he I'm is, not sure. He's half, which... half Fiji and half Samoan. So he could play, he could okay, qualify so for both. There yeah. you go. But it, it doesn't seem like he's he's ever going to get a look in again for England. And he's playing unbelievable rugby. And he could quite easily go and play for Tonga or if he so wished, you know, but that's not open to him. You can't do that. No, and you get, you know, you've got guys like, you know, and the premiership's a good example, you know, you've got guys like, uh, you know, another one's uh, Malachi Fekator. At, uh, at Wasps, who's yeah. done, you know, been standout for them. Uh, we mentioned Piatel, but uh, Stephen Luatua. Sopawanga. Sopawanga, yeah. yep. You could, you could easily make a pretty good Pacific Island 15 out of just players yeah. in the premiership have been, <laughs> been discarded by, mm. their, by their national sides. So, you know, those guys, it's not just the quality that they have on the field, but the, the leadership and the experience that they bring it off it. And actually to drive that professionalism at the Island Nations, mm. that's what we need. You know, people that have not just seen the All Blacks win, but have actually been a part of that and would actually you know or being part of the, the England setup to be able to bring that um that uh, that acumen back to our to our nations which is what we lack yeah that'd be great um if it, if it could happen you know and I like to think you know at the moment I mean I know they've just changed it but 
around that, you know, in terms of solutions, I think if you can qualify, if Bandiaki can qualify to play for Ireland in three years, then surely Sopoanga should be able to unqualify from New Zealand in a similar, <laughs> yeah. so, in a similar sort of time, if it's a three-year stand-down yeah. period. Um, but, exactly. The potential is just so massive because I always mm. think about when I first came across or noticed Samoan rugby was that 1991 World Cup and I was a student and Western Samoa beat Wales. Do you know what I mean? And then they went on and I think they were the quarter-finalists. And I'm in a pub in Swiss Cottage and Samoan fans are in the corner singing Samoan songs. And it was just going, this is amazing. It would just be so wonderful. Yeah. There was that festival of rugby. You had proper, yeah. you know, you had, you had teams making it regularly out of the group stages, you know, and going to semi-finals and finals. It just, it just spreads the sort of, um, it just spreads the love, I think. You imagine if a World Cup was held in the Pacific Islands. Can you imagine? Oh. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> love to see it one day, yeah. Oh. I mean, with, wow. with the quite small stadiums, it would be about <laughs> half a million for a ticket. And you can hear the second part of our Dan Leo interview next week on the podcast. It was only going to be one week's worth of interview, but it was so interesting, we decided to carry it over into two. So listen next week and you'll hear the conclusion of that interview. So, uh, so next week's... Yes. Next week's... Six, oh, God, do you know, I've been so obsessed ahead. by things... I've not thought about next week's predictions. Italy play Wales. I bet you Italy... Oh, actually, hold on. It's... Oh, where is it? It's in... Oh, it's in Italy. Oh, that well, that make should make all the difference. <laughs> I bet you... No, because as I told you, this is my annoying thing with Wales. They do what they need to do. They are amazingly good at play. They're professional. They'll only beat Italy by 15 points, which I know is terrible. That's saying that's going to be close. I think the Welsh expend so much emotional energy being able to win the big games that they just get the small games they're not as bothered by. So I think 15, okay. that's my ridiculous prediction. 15 points. That's Wales ridiculous. Win. I think Italy are utterly demoralised and I think Wales are going to win by at least 25 points. I think you're wrong to write Italy off that way because they're young. They're young and they're still full of hope. They've not been broken yet. I mean, they're not very good either. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish they were better. Honestly, I do. You've got the likes of Fiji, Samoa and all these Pacific nations that can't get into any of these competitions and Italy play every week and get smashed. I think it's unfair. I do hope the next time if you go to Italy that somebody you're going through passport control and they go... No, you have no. said these things no. about our country and about Rome, <laughs> and you don't get allowed in. I'm not saying things about Italy. It's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. I'm just saying that their rugby hasn't improved since, for 20 years since they've been mm. in. I know we had some uh, comments on Twitter oh. um, from some fans defending, uh, not defending Italy, but just sort of oh, yes. just, just saying, you know, you know they have won a few games and over the years, and they have taken Scotland and Wales and they've beaten everyone apart from England in the Six Nations and one-off games. They have, yeah, Only exactly. England. And I replied, I said, yes, of course, and we, and of course, it's not a black and white issue. But you know, overall, you'd have to say that the experiment of having Italy in the Six Nations hasn't worked, and the game hasn't, the game hasn't improved. He said, "His I can't. I'm sorry, I haven't got his name." Um, it was Chris O'Connor, isn't it? Yes. So he would say that his his rebuttal is that it hasn't always been thus. They have been competitive a good few years since joining. Hopefully, they will be again. Um, 
Uh, and and they and he said yes they've got Welsh and Scotland left this year and we we can both agree that it would be great if they won one of them and it would be amazing yeah you can't it would be amazing if Italy won one of those games absolutely but I'm just my unfortunately the chances of that happening I mean we can also play on the like the romantic notion of Italy maybe winning a great big game but it's it, in profession the professional era it's it's so unlikely. It's so unlikely. I really feel a special pod coming on where someone funds us to go and watch England play in Rome and see if we change your mind. And we have a weekend in Rome, you and me, and we do a pod about Dan, me convincing you that Italy should stay. I think if somebody could come up with the money for that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, I, if someone's well, willing to co- pay for that, I'm willing to change my mind. Scotland Island. Yeah. Scotland raging back and angry and fed up. And I've got to say, I thought Maitland was one of the players that actually did really well for Saris on Saturday. I hate to bring, keep mentioning Saris. I'm a bit obsessed at the moment. I think Scotland will do a job on Ireland, but it'll be close. Five points. By five points, Scotland will win. Mm. What do you reckon? Very hard to call this one. I think I think this is very hard to call. Um you would have to say Scotland if they if, if Scotland turn up and have one of their games, I think they could have too much for Ireland. If Ireland put in some sort of defensive shift, because their Ireland is still in transition, I think it's fair to say. And I think Scotland are coming to the boil now. I think they are, they've got a very good team. And if all the component parts are working as they should, they could beat anybody on their day. So I think it'd be great for the for the tournament if Scotland did it next yeah. week. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say Scotland by seven. The danger, of course, being that Ireland will then be very, very angry for England's visit in the next round. But I always have this thing about Ireland. I keep writing off Ireland. <laughs> well, OK. Because they've got old players. You know, Johnny Sexton is getting old. I don't know old. what to say about that. <laughs> Sorry, that's me looking forward again. I think I've not had enough sleep because, honestly, the texts, the tweets started about Meghan and Harry at about 1.30 and I kept watching the Oh, right, updates. you were just looking So I've had about four hours sleep because I kept going, what she said now? What she said now? Anyway, so Johnny Sexton may be... <laughs> 30, 39 or whatever he is. But against Italy, Johnny Sexton was way back on form. So Ireland will turn up for that Scotland game, but I think Scotland will give it their all as well. If there's no danger of Johnny Sexton being touched by a single Italian player, then there's a there, you know, there's a good reason why he could play out of his skin. Do you know what I mean? I really think you've got it in for Italy. Now, um, England, France. Well, I haven't, I haven't got it in for Italy. It, anyway, you know my, you know my <laughs> I just think, I think they have... They've literally got, as I get, I don't want to go on about it. They've got halfbacks that are 19 and 20 or 20. How old they are? Maybe 20, 20. Yeah, because, because the halfbacks they had previously, before the 19, 20, they didn't work either. So you go ship them out, get the young, get the young ones in. Oh right, youth. Okay, and then they'll get to about twenty six. They'll get to about twenty six and go. Oh, this isn't working either. Okay, let's get some (laughs) younger lot in. England, France, England, France. I, I think this is a horrific game for England to be playing at this point. They needed, <laughs> no, they needed to have Ireland next because they were being open against Wales. They were running some nice lines, and now they're playing a team that's much better at doing that. So it's the wrong, the wrong game for England to win this game. They'd, they'd have to go back to a very kicking game, very forward orientated game, um, and not throw it, throw it about. I'm depressed about this game before it's even happened. Well, I think that we're going to have to get our set piece working, you know, like clockwork. And, of course, the one thing we have to do is not give away 15 penalties in the first half. That yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if we can cut, if we can deal with that, then we'll have some sort of basis of giving ourselves a chance. Because I think it's a horrible game, 
England have got nothing to lose. We have. We have got something to lose. You, you lose. This will be. This will be the. Will be the third Six Nations game we have lost. That is. That's totally unacceptable for an English no, side. We, no, quality we, oh, that's, see, that's just English arrogance seeping out no, of you. No, it isn't. We beat Wales and Italy only in 2018, and 18 months later, we're in a World Cup final. I don't think that you know th- this Six Nations Championship is going to have any bearing on the World Cup in two years' time. Because no. we're obviously looking to change things, and and the and the and the way the game is played currently is in sort of transition as well. So there's all that to be taken into consideration. I'd like France to win by about twenty five, and all the Saris players to be sent home by Eddie Jones. That's what I want. I want them all That's back. Very li- That's the most likely scenario. I don't like calling for Saris players to be dropped, but we need them to win every game. And I, but I do genuinely. I mean, it's not entirely serious. I do genuinely think Elliot Deddy needs a break and Max Malins to start, who is also really a Saris player on loan to Bristol Bears. I mean, what what do you actually predict will happen in England, France? Um, well, I've got to be honest, and I know I I back Wales uh, last time. I think I'm going to have to back. For, I think England. Oh no, I, I think I, I'm only saying this because if England lose, and I predicted a France win, then I can kind of feel okay about it, mm. and you know, so it becomes win win. So if I'm wrong, then cool, England have won. And if I'm right that France win, well, I was right. So, you know, I get, I feel okay. I think France will do it. I'm just going to say France by 18 because I like predicting England getting slaughtered because I just, I, exactly like you, I feel better when they don't get slaughtered. Yeah, makes you feel better, yeah. I know I've mentioned Saris all the way through this podcast, but yeah, I reckon yeah. Saracens will win against Jersey Reds, but it'll be only by 10 or 15. I think there's a lot of insecurity. So Saracens defeat Jersey Reds, that's going to be the big result. If they, that's the big one. If they lose to Jersey Reds, can my wife do the podcast next week? <laughs> We've predicted all the games, haven't we? Yes. Yep. We predicted them all. Fantastic. So if you want to get in touch with us, email us at rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com, Twitter at jubblyrugby, Instagram at rugbyjubblypodcast. So there you go. Brilliant. See you next week. Bye. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.